Now we'll have opportunity to turn in God's Word to 1 Kings chapter 13. A puzzling and powerful passage. I believe this is the first passage I've repeat preached in the time I've been here at First Church. It was last fall sometime, and I was between series, and as I'll do from time to time, I asked Melanie what she thought would be something that people would be interested in hearing, and she said, I, I read across this very puzzling chapter in my reading in Kings, 1 Kings 13, I, I think people would be really interested in preaching it, and, and, or people would be really interested in hearing it preached, and so I did. I didn't, of course, know at the time I'd be preaching through Kings now, and so for some of you, some of this will be familiar, but the lesson in the passage certainly bears repeating. So before we turn to 1 Kings 13, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. God, we pray. Write the word here upon our hearts. Let us hear this puzzling, fascinating story and take from it the truth that you are the ultimate authority. And above all else, you are to be listened to and obeyed that it is good to listen to you, our God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 13. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel. As Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering, he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord, O altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who now make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. That same day the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him! But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also, the altar was split apart, and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. Then the king said to the man of God, Intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord, and the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. The king said to the man of God, Come home with me and have something to eat, and I will give you a gift. But the man of God answered the king, Even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, You must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. Now there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had done there that day. They also told their father what he had said to the king. Their father asked them, which way did he go? And his son showed him which road the man of God from Judah had taken. So he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. And when they had saddled the donkey for him, he mounted it and rode after the man of God. He found him sitting under an oak tree and asked, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet said to him, Come home with me and eat. The man of God said, I cannot turn back and go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. 
I have been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. The old prophet answered, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel said to me by the word of the Lord, bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. So the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. While they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back. He cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah, This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your fathers. When the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the prophet who had brought him back saddled his donkey for him. As he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him, and his body was thrown down on the road, with both the donkey and the lion standing beside it. Some people who passed by saw the body thrown down there, with the lion standing beside the body, and they went and reported it in the city where the old prophet lived. When the prophet who had brought him back from his journey heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who defied the word of the Lord. The Lord has given him over to the lion, which has mauled him and killed him, as the word of the Lord had warned him. The prophet said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me, and they did so. Then he went out and found the body thrown down on the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. The lion had neither eaten the body nor mauled the donkey. So the prophet picked up the body of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back to his own city to mourn for him and bury him. Then he laid the body in his own tomb, and they mourned over him and said, Oh, my brother! After burying him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the message he declared by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places in the towns of Samaria will certainly come true. Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its destruction and its downfall from the face of the earth. You know, the Old Testament is full of fascinating stories and fascinating storytellers. And it, I don't say stories in that these are sort of Disney stories that didn't actually happen. Everything ends happily ever after. As you can tell here, things certainly do not end happily ever after in the story before us. But they are stories with a purpose. And it's our work, as we read through puzzling stories like this one, it's our work to look into it and say, what is the purpose? We like stories where everything ties together at the end. All the loose threads come together, and we, everything makes perfect sense. But this is not one of those stories. In this story, we are left with far more questions than we have answers. And that's okay. God is under no obligation to satisfy all of our curiosities or answer all of our questions. God simply means to make one single simple point to us in this story, and the point is that God is himself, the ultimate authority. And this story is a story of God's authority against kings and against prophets and against anybody else who would stand against his word. 
So here's the context for this story. The kingdom of God has just recently been torn in two. You had the whole kingdom under Saul and David and Solomon, and then because of Solomon's sins, his son Rehoboam becomes king, and the kingdom is torn into two parts, not equal parts. Jeroboam, who is the rebel against Solomon's line, receives ten tribes, and Rehoboam keeps only one. And this happened by a prophet. The prophet's name was Ahijah. Ahijah took his new robe and tore it into twelve pieces and gave ten to Jeroboam. And he gave a promise to Jeroboam that so long as you remain faithful to the Lord, you and your dynasty will endure forever as David's dynasty will. But if you don't obey, you will not have an enduring dynasty. And almost as soon as Jeroboam becomes king, he rejects the Lord. And he goes about the work of building two religious centers, one in the far north of his kingdom at Dan, and one at the far south of his kingdom at Bethel. He makes these great golden calves and these grand altars where his people can worship instead of going to worship the Lord up in Jerusalem. And so the story takes place here at the original, the inaugural religious event of this new cult that that Jeroboam has formed. So Jeroboam calls all the people out, and he has all these priests, not Levites, anybody who wanted to be a priest, fake priests, he calls all these priests together, and he's going to have a grand event where he makes these great sacrifices, and all the people are going to celebrate, and it's meant to mimic, and maybe even to mock the dedication of the temple that Solomon had built. And so while this this grand event is happening, weaving through the crowd is an obscure man who remains nameless in the story and forever. An obscure man who weaves his way to the front of the crowd, comes very near to Jeroboam, and shouts, O altar, O altar, this is what the Lord says. Talk about courage. And he proceeds to say two things. The first is that one day this altar, which Jeroboam is so proud of, one day this altar is going to be defiled by having human bones burned upon it. That God is going to destroy this altar and this fake religion which Jeroboam has created. And as proof that this is going to happen, an earlier sign is going to happen, which is that this altar is going to split in two, And the ashes upon this altar are going to pour forth. As you can imagine, though, Jeroboam doesn't take very kindly to this. This is talk about a party pooper, right? This prophet shows up at this great party Jeroboam is going to have and starts shouting out about human bones. I mean, this is not the way you want your religious festival to go. And so Jeroboam sees the man in the crowd, hears what he's saying, stretches out his hand and says, seize him! But then in an ironic twist, the Lord seizes Jeroboam, and his hand is stuck, and it's shriveled. And all of a sudden, Jeroboam has run headlong into the concrete reality of God's truth. Jeroboam thought that he could make his own religion, that he could have his own sacrifices, that he could have his own altars that he could have his own priest, that he could have it exactly as he wanted it to be. And now the Lord has given Jeroboam a reality check. Jeroboam, just because you say it's true doesn't make it true. It's a good lesson for us to learn as well, isn't it? Just because we think something is true 
does not make it true. In a world where truth has become suddenly very relative, we should recall that only what is true in God's eyes is actually true. So Jeroboam becomes suddenly very friendly towards this man of God who comes, and he says, please, plead with God that my hand will be restored. He does, and he is. Now Jeroboam, as we see, receives great mercy. God is so merciful to Jeroboam. There's the obvious mercy of healing his hand, right? God could have left Jeroboam's hand stuck out there in perpetuity for the rest of his life. But he doesn't. God had been merciful to Jeroboam. He'd given him ten tribes over which to be king, and he'd given him a promise. And God is merciful to Jeroboam in that he stops him from continuing in his idolatry. It might have been uncomfortable. It was certainly humiliating for Jeroboam to have his hand shriveled and frozen in front of all his new subjects. But it is always, always merciful when God stops us from continuing in our sin. And God stopped Jeroboam from continuing in his sin. And you would think that Jeroboam would take the hint. But as we see in the final verses of the passage, he does not. Instead, the Lord will tear Jeroboam's kingdom out of his hand the same way he tore Rehoboam's kingdom out of his. It's, it's no accident that the word torn appears in both stories. As the prophet tore the robe back in the giving of the kingdom to Jeroboam, so now the altar is torn and Jeroboam will have no more kingdom. Look with me at verses 7 to 10. In verses 7 to 10, it says, The king said to the man of God, Come home with me and have something to eat, and I will give you a gift. But the man of God answered the king, Even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, You must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. So Jeroboam all of a sudden wants to play nicey-nice with the prophet, with the man of God. Instead of wanting to kill him, now he says, well, come to my house. Let me have a gift for you. Here, enjoy this time with me. And the prophet says, no. Now, I will not spend time with you. You are outside of God's grace. You are an idolatrous king. And by the way, I have these instructions. I'm to go home. I'm not to eat. I'm not to drink. I'm not to do anything until I return back to the kingdom from which I have come, which is the kingdom of Judah. And so the, the prophet rebukes the king's offer of hospitality, whether it was genuine or not, we don't know. And he heads back on his way home. It's about a six-mile journey from Bethel back to Judah. And he heads back, but he does not seem to head back with much haste. Because in the next series of verses, we find that he's stopped. And he's sitting, and he's sitting under an oak tree. Look with me at verses 11 to 19. Now there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had done there that day. They also told their father what he had said to the king. Their father asked them, which way did he go? And his son showed him which road the man of God from Judah had taken. So he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. And when he had saddled the donkey for him, he mounted it and rode after the man of God. He 
found him sitting under an oak tree and asked, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet said to him, Come home with me and eat. The man of God said, I cannot turn back and go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I have been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. The old prophet answered, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel said to me, by the word of the Lord, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. So the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. The first ten verses of the passage aren't really all that puzzling at all. But now all of a sudden as you get into these nine verses, the questions begin to mount. Why wasn't this prophet in a hurry to get home? It was only six miles. Why did he stop under the oak tree when all he had to do was make it a few more miles and he would be home free, having accomplished his mission exactly as God had told him? And then compare and contrast this prophet who's from the land of God, who's from the kingdom of Judah, living under the king, David's grandson, great-grandson. He lives there. He receives an order from God to go somewhere to see a king and come back home by a different way, but he can't finish it. Why is it that the magi or the wise men from the nativity, why is it that they, pagans, who come from a distant land, only following a star, not following the Word of God, can come to see a king be warned in a dream to go back by a different way and obey perfectly and obediently. Why is it that the Gentiles outdo the Jewish man of God here? And who is this old prophet? And why does he lie to the man of God? And what were his sons doing at the pagan festival of Jeroboam in the first place? And, and why isn't this prophet, why isn't he the one who's called to go and challenge the idolatry in his own land? Why does God, why does God call this foreigner to come and challenge the idolatry? And then why does he want to go and find the man of God? Lots of questions. Lots of details left untold and not so many answers. Because those questions aren't the point. The point is that this man disobeyed God. And that if he would have obeyed, he would have lived. But he will not, as we see in verses 20 to 25. While they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back. He cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah, This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the commands the Lord your God gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your fathers. When the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the prophet who had brought him back saddled his donkey for him. As he went down his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown down on the road with both the donkey and the lion standing beside it. Some people who passed by saw the body thrown down there with the lion standing beside the body and they went and reported it in the city where the old prophet lived. Now we have all kinds of more questions. Why did the Lord suddenly use this lying prophet to speak the truth? And why is it that they wait until after their meal, 
after such a, a startling announcement for the man to leave. And why doesn't the man of God try to plead some kind of case before the Lord? Why doesn't he say, well, this is a, a prophet, and he told me to do this. Why, why don't you give me a break? He, there's all kinds of questions, but again, those aren't the point. The point is that we should consider who is our highest authority. And who will we listen to above everyone or anyone or anything else? As I studied for this passage, I came across a story, very, uh, I think a comical story. And it was a baseball game played in the year 1915. It was between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Brooklyn Dodgers. And the story takes place in the bottom of the seventh inning. The game was tied 2-2. Two to two. There are two outs and there's a man on third base, potentially the winning run. And the pitcher on the mound is a guy by the name of Ed Appleton, and he's a rookie. He's fresh to the big leagues. And the Cardinals manager was also the Cardinals third base coach, and his name was Miller Huggins. And so the, the Cardinals manager calls out to Ed Appleton and says, hey bub, throw me the ball. And so Appleton tosses the ball to him. But Huggins hadn't called timeout. The ball bounces right past him, and the winning run just jogs in home. Who did he listen to? He listened to the manager. What's the ultimate authority in the game of baseball? The rules of baseball. And because he didn't listen to the ultimate authority, he lost the game. And because this prophet, or this man of God, didn't listen to the ultimate authority, he lost his life. We should be careful who we listen to and what we are willing to entertain which runs or stands contrary to the Word of God. This man of God, he knew his marching orders well enough to repeat them verbatim twice. He had intended on obedience, even if it wasn't expedient obedience. But he never got there. Instead, he allowed this man to catch him, and then he believed him. And now this lying prophet suddenly speaks the truth. This is what the Lord says. There will be a punishment. You will not be buried in the grave of your fathers. In other words, you will come to an untimely death in a land which is distant from your own home. The lion mauls the man of God and then just stands over him together with the donkey. This is God's signature on the whole episode. The lion didn't eat the man. The lion didn't eat the donkey because God wants us to know this is not happenstance. This is precisely, precisely what God had said would happen. The rest of the story is not really any less puzzling, is it? Why did this old prophet, why did he want to go and see this man that he had lied to? Why did he mourn over him? And why, did, why did he lie to him in the first place? Why did he want him to be buried in this tomb? Why is it that he and his sons cry, Oh, my brother! Why? There's all kinds of whys in the story. It's a puzzling story, isn't it? But again, those aren't the point. The main point is this, trust God, because God is trustworthy. God had told the old man that he was going to die, and he did. 
God had said the altar was going to split in two, and the altar split in two. And God said the altar was going to be defiled by human bones, and it is. Jump forward to 2 Kings 23 with me, just a few verses here. A few hundred years after the reign of Jeroboam. And we read this in 2 Kings 23. The words should also be on the screen. Even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who had caused Israel to sin, even that altar and high place Josiah demolished. He burned the high place and ground it to powder and burned the Asherah pole also. Then Josiah looked around, and when he saw the tombs that were there on the hillside, he had the bones removed from them and burned down the altar to defile it in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed <coughs> excuse me, by the man of God who foretold these things. The king asked, What is that tombstone I see? The people of the city said it marks the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and pronounced against the altar of Bethel the very things you have done to it. Leave it alone, he said. Do not let anyone disturb his bones. So they spared his bones and those of the prophet who had come from Samaria. The word of the Lord is trustworthy. And so we should trust him. In fact, we should be afraid not to. The examples of both Jeroboam and the man of God from Judah should ring in our ears. That Jeroboam had been given everything by God, more than he probably ever would have had reason to expect. And yet, he doesn't obey. The Lord breaks his altar, crashes his dynasty, and worse than that, Jeroboam finds himself eternally in the enemy camp from God. And this man of God from Judah. He had courage. He had courage enough to walk up to a newly crowned king at his inaugural religious festival and cry out God's curse against that king. He had courage enough to rebuke a king's offer of hospitality. But as soon as the tension was down, so was his guard. As soon as there was no king to challenge only an old prophet he let down his guard he saw the crown on the head of an idolater and he knew to be on guard but then he saw the clergy id card and he forgot everything that he had been told and because of that he died Remember what Paul says in Galatians 1? Paul says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. God speaks plainly in His Word. He calls us to follow Christ, the Christ in the Scriptures. And anything or anyone that runs contrary to God's Word should be run from. That's exactly what this man of God should have done. He should have encountered this prophet, heard the temptation, recognized that he has no business being under this oak tree, and run as quickly as he could back to his homeland, but he didn't. He entertained a message that was the opposite of what God had told him. And we ought never to entertain any message 
which is opposing the message which God has given us in His Word. I don't care if it's preached by a preacher behind a pulpit or by a guy in a fancy hat in a Roman cathedral or by a guy with a million megawatt smile on the television or by a person who says, well, I've had a personal talk with Jesus. I don't care who it is, if someone preaches or teaches or gives you a message different than what's in God's Word, you trust God's Word and not the person who preaches the other message. Amen? Amen. This courageous and gullible man from Judah stands as an example for us. To not only have our guard up when there's the crown on the idolater's head, but also when we see a clergy ID card. And I have a clergy ID card, so I can say that. Just because something appears to be good doesn't mean that it always is. Are we so different from the man of God from Judah? We send our kids to Christian colleges, Christian schools, Christian camps. And do we naively just believe that just because the word Christian is in the name, that somehow everything taught there is going to be gospel truth? Now don't hear me arguing against Christian education. I'm all for Christian education, building a Christian worldview in our kids. But don't be foolish enough to think that just because you send your kids to Christian school doesn't mean, they're, doesn't mean they're not going to encounter false teachings. Are we training our children not just to avoid the overt dangers which the world sends our way, but the more subtle lies which may sneak into their lives if we are not This man saw plainly the very plain threat. But the subtler one, he was a sucker for. We should have our guard up against the overt, obvious foes and the subtler ones. Always doing as the Bereans did. Luke says of them about Paul's preaching that they received the message with great eagerness and examine the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Do we turn on the television, the Christian television, and filter everything through the sieve of God's Word? Do we listen to Christian radio and filter everything through the sieve of God's Word? And when our kids bring back their homework assignments from school or the teachings they've heard from school, do we filter everything through the sieve of God's Word. If we do not, we are no different than this man of God from Judah who failed to filter this old prophet's message through what he had heard from God himself. But do you know what's necessary for us to be able to filter? We have to know God's Word. We have to study it. We have to read it. We have to hear it preached. We have to indulge ourselves in it. We have to commit it to our minds. But that's not all. Then we have to obey it. That was the man's problem. He knew God's Word, but he didn't follow through. He was exactly what James said we shouldn't be. James says in James 1.22, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And Jesus pronounces a blessing in Luke's Gospel. Luke 
11.28, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Let's think about this as simply as we can. What is the most important thing that God commands us to do? It's to believe the good news of Jesus Christ and to repent. It's to follow Jesus, isn't it? Isn't that the most important thing God tells us to do is to follow Jesus? And anything else that calls us to leave the path of discipleship should be rejected. The author of Hebrews says this, exhort or encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It is still called today. There is still time to follow Jesus. You have not yet been killed for your disobedience, praise God. But if you will not follow Jesus, the day will come for you the same it came for this prophet, when you will face God's judgment on your disobedience. And you will die, not only in the flesh, but in the soul as well. So follow Jesus. Trust him. Give yourself entirely over to him. This story is for our good. It's meant to warn us. It's meant to encourage us. It's meant for us to see that we should take God's gracious gift of eternal life offered through Christ Jesus our Lord and cling to it. And so if you have not done that, today is a good day to do it. And if you have, hold fast. Don't turn back. This man of God from Judah died because he didn't make it the six miles home. But for you, you follow Jesus until he leads you all the way home. Let's pray. God, that's what we want. We want to follow Jesus until he leads us all the way home. We pray knowing that apart from your grace, we would leave the narrow road that leads to life to the left or to the right, every opportunity given to us. And so we pray that you would fill us with your Spirit. We love the doctrines of the church like the perseverance of the saints. Help us to persevere, not to rest under oak trees, or listen to the subtler enemies and the lies that would come to us. But instead, help us to be vigilant and faithful and persevering. And Lord, if there be anybody here today who has not yet obeyed the voice, your voice, to follow Jesus, who has not yet obeyed the voice of Jesus, who calls us, come and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, if there be anybody who has not yet followed that command, may it be today. 
Today is the day of salvation. We ask that you give us all the mercy you showed to Jeroboam, but let us be nothing like him in our response. But flee from our temptation and our sin into your waiting, forgiving arms. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.